behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? Another roller coaster week in the media and entertainment industry, Vivian Kelly. There was uh, a scandal of sorts that almost sideswiped the ARIA Awards. Uh, breakfast television presenters were spotted beating their chests in the tabloids over the weekend after the 40 week, I think it is, TV ratings uh, end of the year. And at least two more entertainers were cancelled on social media last week both of which we will talk about today. It's just starting to feel a lot like Christmas, really. Look, you know it's Christmas when suddenly everybody's a winner in the TV ratings and that's that's what's happening any way you cut it. Everybody has taken home a prize this year. It's actually less than a month uh, until Christmas now, which I only just clocked uh, yesterday. Have you uh, erected your Christmas tree yet? No, Christmas trees do not go up until December, Jake. That's the rule and I'm fully willing to die on that hill and I'm fully ready to fight someone who puts up <laughs> their Christmas tree in November. <laughs> uh, I believe it's December by the time this episode drops, though, or almost anyway. It's unacceptable <laughs> if you put your Christmas tree up in November, even if it's almost December. Right, shall we get this podcast going? Let's do it. Today on That's Entertainment, radio bosses continue to shake the talent tree. Were the ARIA Awards really a win for diversity? Also ahead, will reality TV be any different in 2022? Plus, in this week's hot take, from dream to nightmare, how the Joel and Petch and Regan Derry partnership unravelled. It seems like radio bosses are continuing to play their uh, annual round of radio roulette, something that we continue to talk about on this podcast almost every week. A lot of changes announced last week as well right across the country. One of the most interesting ones, I thought, was Danny Lakey joining Maz Compton for Hit New South Wales Breakfast. Yes, another sign that it's almost Christmas, aside from people erecting their Christmas trees too early, is everybody in radio's contracts being under scrutiny and it seems like that's happening. Uh, that's definitely a sign that next year there's going to probably be even more change as well. So we've seen so far Danny Lakey, as you say, joining Maz Compton on hit New South Wales breakfast. He's previously been a bit of a headline attractor, I guess you could say, when he's been uh, on Triple M in the night slot. So it will be a, a different time slot and Probably a bit of a different take for Danny because he perhaps can't be as controversial on that syndicated breakfast show as he could be on Triple M. I'm a big fan of Maz Compton and I was really disappointed when uh, they were dropped from Today FM Breakfast and obviously she took a break from radio, uh, focused on her fitness, her gym's business uh, with her partner. Uh, she came back uh, originally just to fill in and then took the spot permanently there. Uh, Danny Lakey I've also been a big fan of. He does, uh, shall we say, push the envelope <laughs> in terms of content uh, and he's got himself in hot water. But really... 
you know, presenters are becoming a lot more vanilla and a lot safer, I think. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for Danny and Maz to really create something special. I think it's a great pairing. Yeah, Maz Compton was another victim of the talent changes at Today FM breakfast. It certainly wasn't because she isn't a talented broadcaster. I just don't know that her show in that slot was ever really given the space it needed to breathe and the time it needed to get the ratings that it deserved. And I think she's probably part of the reason why now the Today FM bosses are saying that they're going to give the morning crew so much time and space to breathe because that history of chopping and changing that we've talked about so much hasn't really worked for them. I think you're right that Danny is definitely more of an old school broadcaster in terms of being willing to get that controversy, end up on media watch and and get those complaints and and then make those apologies and and whatnot and I think he will be a good pairing for for Maz I just hope that she doesn't have to do that that role that too many female presenters are pushed into where she has to spend her whole broadcasting life reining him in and the number one station on the Gold Coast being hot tomato of course uh, a big change to drive there yeah so Simon Baggs has left uh his slot there it's not really clear what went what went on what went what went down but Queensland bloody loves a a radio change at the moment and it seems like he's been a another victim of the the Christmas Christmas time in radio (laughs) uh you sort of talk about Simon there like something might have happened you 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 were dancing around uh with your words there Oh, look, I, I absolutely don't know okay. what happened. You, you, you are our feet on the ground uh, in Queensland. Anastasia won't let me in, so I can't, I can't get up there and find out, find out what happened, which means I, I, do, I do have to do the dance because often when people leave, it's just not clear. You know, people say they resigned and, and, and you, just, you can never be too sure. Now, Triple J on Friday, late on Friday, decided to drop a media release announcing a whole heap of changes there. Is a Friday afternoon really a good time to announce your lineup for the year ahead? Look, you know how much I love, hate a Friday afternoon taking the trash out announcement. I think it used to be a way to sneak things out or make sure that they perhaps weren't scrutinised in the way that they should be. But with the news as the way it is at the moment, you don't really get away with anything. You're still going to get coverage. You're still going to get uh, all sorts of attention no matter when you release something. So there's certainly no uh, sneaking out a, a change or dumping a show and, and getting away with it. People, people are always paying attention in 2021, even if it is Christmas time. Let's talk about Triple M in Melbourne for a moment. Uh, Marty Sheargold on breakfast there, of course. Uh, certainly some improvements I think the radio bosses will be uh, hoping for on their New Year's resolutions list for next year. But they've made a few changes to uh, work days. Yeah, so Dave Williams, otherwise known as Dangerous Dave, uh, had been part of the Malloy show. He's now going to host mornings from 9 until 12 and then Sarah Marie is going to take over in the afternoon so there's a bit of a shake-up there with people who've been involved in in shows sort of more behind the scenes or on the sidelines and now going to be fronting the the workday for Triple M what that means in terms of their music or their ratings I guess we'll see that play out in 2022 but it's certainly a station that wants and needs its numbers to go up Dangerous Dave what a great name <laughs> what would be your radio name with with the alliteration of Jake Jolly Jake I was about to ask you what yours would be 
I don't know what mine would be. Just well, I think Jake. I don't know that you get to decide your own nickname. I think people who decide their own nicknames <laughs> are a bit special. Oh, we've lost Viv. Welcome to intermission. You have completely frozen for me. Oh, I've lost you. Can you? I don't think you can hear me. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. You're back. Oh, she's, she's... Can you hear me? Human beings have such bad internet wherever she goes. It's quite remarkable. 2021. Terrible internet follows her everywhere. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How do you have such shit internet? I don't know. I, I had to wait for it to upload. Like, I just didn't want to do anything before the audio oh, yeah. had uploaded. Uh, anyway, we were talking about radio. What would your... What would your radio name be? I don't think you get to decide your own nickname, Jake. I oh. think people who decide their own uh, nickname aren't my kind of people, so I guess I'd have to let you, which feels dangerous, decide. <laughs> I think what we should do is flick a text to a few content directors and say, what would Vivian's radio... That's what I'm going to do. What would Vivian's radio name be? I think you might get back some not suitable for podcast content if you do that. I'll still send them to you. <laughs> uh the other big change in radio, which is yet to be announced on Triple M's sister station, uh, Hit, is what's going to happen on nights next year, which once upon a time was such a coveted and exciting shift. I mean, you had people in there like Ugly Phil and, of course, Kyle and Jackie O and so many more. Uh, Ash London, of course, has stepped out. There has been a little bit of speculation that Tom and Ollie might uh, move into that in a more permanent setting. They're filling in currently. Are you hearing anything about nights on Hit? What I have heard is that Tom Bainbridge and Oliver Morris, as their uh, <laughs> real names are, uh, aren't going to be coming back next year. So what's not clear when people say they're not coming back is to what extent... That is, they've been filling in, as you say, for Ash London, which is the 7 to 10 p.m. slot. Previously, they'd been on late nights. I am hearing that their contract hasn't been renewed. I'm just not clear yet whether that means they're moving back to their late night slot or whether the hit network is going to completely overhaul its sort of evening part because as we know ash london isn't going to come back after maternity leave ollie it's a brand new show for us mm. not for you podcaster not much is going to change but for us we have changed time slots from 10 p.m to 7 p.m so a bit more of an energetic tom and ollie yeah. which means that coming up in the show tonight we want to know if you've ever given an animal cpr oh. <coughs> i think i need cpr oh god <laughs> Tom and Ollie had been, I guess, wanting that spot. They've been filling in since September and now it's just not clear what what's going to happen. I have heard that Hit Network has been sort of shopping around for another show, so I guess we'll find out who and what that is later in the year. 
It is, you know, one of those time slots, I think, that is an opportunity to bring in a younger new audience to radio. But I understand where the music cycle is at and where the bullseye is currently. Tom and Ollie, as I understand it, haven't been broadcasting on Today FM uh, in Sydney. They have been everywhere else, but for that exact reason, uh, because of the sort of demo target of Today FM. Is there an opportunity here to do something exciting at nights? There's always an opportunity to do something exciting at nights. As you say, say, it's a great sort of breeding ground for new radio talent and also somewhere where they can be a bit more experimental with the music that they play. Nights Radio does tend to launch more songs and and mix up the playlist perhaps a bit more than, you know, early in the morning when people are a bit sleepy and and doing the school run and and going to work and and on the roads. You can have more of a a party vibe and an experimental vibe at nights. I don't know that the Hit Network would take that because I just think they're not really in a space to be taking big risks at the moment unless it's completely changing their strategy. They really need to spend 2022 building up their ratings, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. And I think the way to do that is to get their music strategy right, to get their talent lineups right, and then and then go from there and build it. All right, still to come on That's Entertainment, uh, in our hot take from Dream to Nightmare, how the Joel and Petch and Regan Derry partnership unravelled. But up next, were the ARIA Awards really a win for diversity? Viv, the ARIA Awards were on Wednesday night, uh, at nine now, and YouTube, not primetime television as it has been almost every other year. Uh, it was a good awards, though. It did get a lot of credit for diversity, particularly for POC representation. There was obviously great wins for uh, Genesis Owosu, The Kid Leroy, Bajira, TK as well. Um, what was your take on the awards? It was always going to be an interesting one for the Arias. They had to plan this sort of virtual event due to uncertainty around COVID and lockdowns and travel. And then Sydney had sort of opened up by the time it rolled around. So I think there was a bit of disappointment in the industry that they ended up with this at-home event again when everybody was just absolutely frothing to get back together it was also the year that they ditched the gendered categories in terms of best male artist and best female artist with the argument that recognizing women separately isn't the path to diversity recognizing women separately isn't the way to get women in the music industry on equal footing and it also gave them an opportunity to recognize non-binary artists who perhaps have felt a bit excluded or uh, a bit pushed into the binary when they have to sort of nominate which category they want to to be a part of it was never going to happen straight away, though, and I, I think that's that's the issue. It was a great win for diversity in terms of, as you say, people people of colour and First Nations people. But what we didn't see was female artists getting the recognition that perhaps they deserve. On the Music Network, there was a bit of a, a research done where it was found that, you know, non-female fronted groups and acts uh, had won the album of the year 26 times compared to female acts had won it eight times. I think that really speaks to what happens when you don't separate out the genders in terms of recognising them separately is that the men will come out on top. 
We uh, touched on this in last week's episode, and I recall that we spoke about whether they will need to sort of review who votes for these awards uh, in future if it doesn't sort of reflect uh, where the industry is at. And I think in many ways it has, and it was a great awards. Uh, but as you say, from a gender perspective, perhaps it hasn't. What do you think the way forward is? Annabelle Heard, the CEO of ARIA, did say it's not going to happen straight away. You can't get people to overcome their unconscious bias in a day. You know, scrapping a category doesn't change hundreds of years of, of systems and beliefs and whatnot. And as we've seen this year, the music industry in particular has various issues with women so I think they just need to have an education campaign. They need to really make sure that they are advocating for women in the industry and they might need to review sort of how the voting is done and, and who's who's doing it. There'll also be a lot of pressure, I think, on the labels to make sure that throughout the year, not just in that voting period, they're really pushing their female artists and their diverse artists to make sure that when it comes to voting time, people have heard that album, people think that person should be recognised and then they take that next step and actually vote for them and that will be the way forward. There were some great moments during the awards uh, on Wednesday night. I think my personal favourite was... Uh, Bajira's win for Breakthrough Artist, which was the uh, Michael Gudinski, it was branded the Michael Gudinski uh, Breakthrough Artist this year. Did you see that? Yes, that's the one that, you know, got everybody feeling a bit emotional. That award had extra significance this year. It's always a great award to win because it can really set you up to be, you know, the emerging artist of the moment and to have Michael Gudinski's name attached to it after his untimely passing earlier this year really gives it extra weight and extra meaning because he was just such a significant figure in the industry and also really mentored young emerging artists. So it's a massive, massive shame that he's not around to see the artists who win that award now. But I think it will really give those artists who do happen to win it a real feeling, an extra feeling of achievement. And the aria goes to Bajura for Bajura EP. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. This is, this is a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I want to say thank you to my parents, uh, my mum and my dad who travelled with me. Um... Oh, I didn't expect to cry, but I'm, I'm crying and I sound weird. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you to everyone at Warner Brothers and everyone at Lemon Tree Management and Lonely Lands and everyone on my team, Marcus, uh, Thane, for, for helping, helping me do this. And I want to thank God and, and uh, I'm just, oh, I, can't, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> This is incredible. Um, and thank you to Michael. Um, I only spoke to him twice, but he, he opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and I, I just can't believe it. This is insane. Thank you. <laughs> All right, up next, will reality TV be any different in 2022? Viv Merritt at First Sight Australia has confirmed that it has axed a contestant from the upcoming season, its ninth season, after videos of a misogynistic and homophobic contestant were uh, brought to the show's attention. Are we surprised by this? This could be a very short segment if that's your question, uh, because my <laughs> answer is 
No. Next question. It seems to just happen every year. When I started seeing headlines about this disgraceful Married at First Sight contestant, I had to check the calendar and make sure I wasn't reading an article from 2019, 2020, 2017. It's sort of, you know, same headline, different face. Mm. It seems to happen every year. I guess the difference this year is that he's been ditched before the show comes out so these videos have allegedly only just been brought to channel nine's attention and so they have allegedly acted very quickly to do the right thing the question that remains in television circles is how can they have only just surfaced when everyday people had seen these videos this guy had gotten attention online before for these horrific videos before he was going to be on Australia's biggest television show and given the background checks that these shows are supposed to do on people I think viewers are finding it hard to believe that they couldn't have surfaced previously if you are gay you are gonna get AIDS Gold Coast schoolies, we're going to be there um, we'll go to the second or third week if any lads are going to schoolies Gold Coast we'll hit it up bit more Botox, try and make myself look about 25-ish. Do you think they uh, signed this man uh, knowing that he wouldn't actually make it to production? Or uh, do you think that maybe they thought, oh, we'll get two episodes out of this? (laughs) Well, they had already started filming. So the poor woman uh, that was paired with this guy had met him, married him in inverted commas, and apparently it was her friends, you know, who had a bit of a bad vibe at the wedding and then looked into him, you know, pulled up his socials and found these horrific videos. I know that women at weddings can be up there with the FBI in terms of their investigations, <laughs> but so should producers. They should also have that that level of investigation. And from what I understand, it's not like he'd hidden these videos or hidden these views. Do I need to go back on a platform and let the females of Australia know? Yeah, my personal preference is not dating fucking heavy. And they weren't even very old. You know, his argument now is these these views and videos are six months old. I've evolved. I'm just not sure that things can change that quickly and that you can do the work that quickly to overcome your incredibly problematic views. I think if they could have, they would have used him in a promo or they would have used him to to get viewers because I've spoken to people at Channel 9 on background before and they say that every year that there's a petition and every year there is a petition, they actually love it because it gets more column inches, it gets more attention, it gets the breakfast TV hosts talking, it gets people hate-watching and the thing is hate-watching is still watching. Negative coverage for maths happens every single year it's still the biggest show on television it helps make nine number one with those key advertising demographics so i think they probably would have gotten away with it if they could but they just haven't been able to this year no doubt about it mass has to be the most talked about television show uh, in australia I mean, it's just great television. Does it really matter who they put on it? Yes, it really matters who they put on it. I think that the problem is, though, every year has to be bigger and better to keep attracting the viewers because they've seen it all before now. They've seen people throwing red wine. They've seen people who are misogynistic. They've seen relationships that seem 
a bit toxic and problematic. So how do you keep topping that? And the way that you do that is you get more and more extreme and more and more ridiculous people. On the flip side, you've got Channel 10 trying to present itself to marketers and to audiences as the woke network or, or the one that, you know, champions diversity and champions doing things properly and their ratings aren't really going that well they are very much the number three network and they always have been but this year's bachelorette for example was the worst rating season ever so it might be that that format is tired it might be that they just need to rest it and then bring it back when there's an appetite for it again but it's also that you look at maths and the more ridiculous you get, it does seem to bring in the ratings. That doesn't mean you should be casting somebody like this whose views are so well-known and whose views are so problematic. I think you can get viewers without having a sexist homophobe on your screens. In a climate where cancel culture is really the norm at this point, how is maths still on air? Well, because it's cancelled by one section of society but watched by the other you know those people who hate it those people who do start the petitions aren't the ones that channel nine is is trying to attract they're trying to attract that sort of middle australia not the woke section that uh, channel 10 is going for and people who love to whip out the saying go go woke go broke and <laughs> channel nine is certainly not in any danger of going woke or going broke gone broke before haven't they yes they have but look at them now look at them now thriving uh, maybe maybe casting sexist homophobes is is the path uh, to money but look i think that this one in particular has definitely gotten them negative coverage what will be interesting will be how they tackle it when the show comes out in 2022 there would have been that gap in the news cycle where will they just bury it and and hope that people forget about Simon before before he'd even started or will they address it and try to make themselves look like the hero who saved this woman when actually they're the one who paired her with the woman in the first place? All right. Up next, uh, our hot take of the week from dreams to nightmare, how Joel and Petch and Regan Derry partnership unravelled. That's entertainment's hot take. Well, the Ari Awards on Wednesday night were not without controversy of sorts. Uh, a musician by the name of Regan Derry took to uh, Instagram during the ceremony as it was being broadcast uh, on Wednesday, making a claim, a copyright claim really, about uh, some vocals of hers that were used on a very successful, now platinum-selling hit, a cover of uh, the Fleetwood Mac classic Dreams by a New Zealand DJ, actually, Joel and Petch. Uh, That sent the internet and social media alight, really, uh, smack bang in the middle of the ARIA Awards. Well-timed. Sitting at home watching the ARIA Awards, Jolly on Petch released Dreams without my consent and without written agreement. Derry claims she had a verbal agreement with Petch for 10% of any master licensing fees and that she provided her recording as a demo only for a fee of $300. But Petch disputes Derry's version of events. At no time have I ever received an invoice from her that stated demo. Regan was never concerned with any of these covers, never asked to be credited, and only in the past seven weeks has Regan raised it with me with the success of Dreams and well after I'd paid Regan what was agreed upon last year. 
one thing that can definitely be said with certainty in a situation that is very uncertain is that Regan Derry absolutely nailed the timing and nailed controlling the narrative. It became the story of the night. It became the thing that everybody was not even whispering about in corners as perhaps would have been the case if the event was in person. Everybody was talking about it. Unfortunately, that does mean that it took away a bit perhaps from the winners of the evening and the overall positive message of the evening because everybody was just talking about this spat and by by getting on the front foot, Regan really got some prominent people in the industry in her corner and very much sort of painted Jolien as as the bad guy in this situation. And that sort of dragged in the record label as well. It brought up bigger questions around the industry and how it treats women. So I think she definitely absolutely nailed that timing, but it's become a very complex and confusing situation since then. Yeah, it is complex uh, and it's also confusing, particularly for those that aren't really uh, familiar with how record contracts and all, all those sorts of things work. We're at a point in this whole uh, Regan versus Jolan uh, saga <laughs> where it's very he said, she said. Uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, there's one's released a statement, one's responded, then another's come back. And I think Regan was the last one who's really dissected uh, Jolan's statement and, and, and really, you know, gone in with uh, her version of each, you know, of the sentences that he's kind of put forward there. But what it has done is raised uh, a, a really important conversation for the music industry uh, and really exposed it yet again for where it needs to improve. And I think... You know, contracts are one thing, but having a moral compass is another, and I think that's often missed in these types of deals. Yeah, with the he said, she said, we're almost at the point, as you say, of a sentence-by-sentence breakdown between the two artists. You know, one of them will release a statement and then the other one comes back breaking down the alleged factual inaccuracies in the previous statement, and you could fill a whole podcast reading their back-and-forths that have played out over the internet, and I'm sure the things going back-and-forth between their lawyers are even more spicy there are questions around whether or not Regan wanted the credit and wanted the attention and there are some people even speculating now oh it's only because the song has taken off that suddenly she's got an issue and perhaps these concerns should have been raised back in April or or whenever the song you know first started getting traction, regardless of whether she wanted credit or now wants to ride the wave, that almost needs to be put aside. What's very clear here is that this was sort of a back of the envelope deal or or promise between mates. The fact that there are screenshots that are being leaked to the media of conversations, the fact that people are backing up their argument by saying, oh, well, we had this conversation and she said this and he said this, proves that the contract and the agreement wasn't sound because you shouldn't be having to whip out text message exchanges or Facebook messages to prove that you're right. You should have perhaps had an agreement, had something more solid, regardless of if the song is going to take off, regardless of how much money or attention you want from it. You shouldn't just be sending vocals and hoping for the best or in Jolien's case, you know, promising something and then not delivering it should be written down and not just on Facebook Messenger. Well, that's it. And he's got a very seasoned team behind him as well. So I was quite shocked to learn uh, that, you know, 
the I's weren't dotted and the T's weren't crossed in this scenario because everyone knows what they're doing. But I don't think the label can wipe their hands of this either. I mean, there has to be a due diligence process before they put out a song to go, okay, yep, everything's in check here. There's a vocal agreement. There's, you know, any samples that have been used have been cleared, like all of these sorts of things that go into a master recording, uh, including, you know, clearances on songwriting, copyright front, etc. Um, it seems like a lot of those steps weren't done. It's interesting because Jolien is only signed to Tomorrow, the record label, sort of for this song. You, you know, he, he's not an artist where perhaps they've sat down and, and really nutted that out and made sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But again, that becomes the problem because when something like this does happen, it does become the record label's problem you've got people who are taking Regan Derry's side and who are asking questions of the label what are you going to do about this how are you going to fix it but she's not the one who's actually signed to the label so it does come back to then what her agreement with Jolien was when he was thinking up this song and, and and she was doing the vocals for him that song would be nothing without her vocals you know obviously all the hard work in terms of the writing was done back in the 70s by by Fleetwood Mac and the song already has so much traction again now in 2021 largely because of TikTok and and that platform giving that song another life so I do hear that they are in the final stages of reaching an agreement this week I do think the damage is done, though, in terms of his reputation and in terms of taking this from such a a dream run in terms of that song going so well, getting so much radio play, getting so much attention, really putting... It could have been the thing that put the spotlight on how amazing Regan's vocals are, but instead it has become this really nightmarish argument between the two, and I think it will be really difficult for both of them to move on and any time they get headlines in the future, for this not to be dredged up as, oh, this is who we're talking about. There's a lot of conversation. Uh, in fact, I've had a number of texts, and you raised it with me as well when we were planning this podcast around the correlation, although it's very different, but the sort of underlying message to Taylor Swift and, and her fight to get her masters back, which I appreciate is very different in this circumstance contractually. But in essence, uh, it's, it's really about women reclaiming their voice. And again, that's why Regan nailed it so much in terms of tapping into that zeitgeist. There is so much attention on how the hard work of women in the music industry can be just cast aside in the name of men chasing money. And I think even though the Taylor Swift situation, as you say, is incredibly different, it's a similar vibe there where other women can recognise that struggle and that need to control your own narrative and and have your name attached to your voice and and have you own that. And that's what Taylor fought for with her master recordings. And that's what Regan has been able to tap into, that sentiment of feeling unheard, that sentiment of feeling pushed aside, and that sentiment of feeling like, you know, the big bad bosses and the big bad men are taking away your voice and taking away your story. That's why you saw so many prominent people, both in radio and the music industry, throwing their weight behind Regan, not just in terms of a like on Instagram, but actually commenting on it. I do know that the comments have now been turned off and and they've all disappeared, but you saw people like Guy Sebastian, uh, Ash London, Nick Kelly, all sorts of prominent people 
jumping in and having their say on on this issue well before anyone really knew what was going on. On a lighter note, it's a cheesy cover, but I do love it. It is an absolutely great song and that's why it's done so well on the radio. I'm sure if Sydney could have been out and about and Melbourne could have been out and about sooner, it would have gone off in venues as well because people, it is one of those songs that really gets white people singing, singing and dancing and having that modern take on it, uh, you know, with the ability to, to dance to it and they didn't change it too much in terms of the overall free feeling of the song. It would have really, really been a, a hit of the year. Unfortunately, now it's just always going to be attached to those headlines about scandals and men versus women and everything that's wrong with the music industry. I can picture you bopping along to that at a club <laughs> in Bondi with a vodka lime and soda in hand. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I think we've reached the end of this podcast. I think we have too. Time for a, a vodka lime and soda, I think. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.